Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. On this episode, it's time to set the phone down, put the tablet away, and actually get into the woods to really scout. Listen, e-scouting is fun. Getting trail camera pictures sent to your phone, that's fun. Hell, almost all scouting is fun. But the most necessary scouting is the kind where you get into the woods for a first-hand look at where the deer actually live. This isn't that much fun this time of year, so I guess not all scouting is, is super fun. I lied. That doesn't matter, because despite the heat and the bugs and the stinging nettles and probably the bees or whatever, it's time to get out there and really dig into the woods and see what it's going to offer you this fall. That's what this week's show is all about. Hey everybody, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. This is episode four and I'm your host, Tony Peterson. So far with Foundations, we've covered developing and fostering a crazy love for all types of deer scouting. And more specifically, we've gotten pretty deep into the weeds on the topic of e-scouting. Now, we need to get off the couch and we need to get into the woods, which to be honest, kind of sucks. Now, I'm not saying that scouting deer sucks generally. In fact, I love it. But this time of year, you're going to feed mosquitoes and ticks. You're going to fight the heat, all while gleaning some knowledge that might help you out this fall. This might not seem like a great trade-off, especially since I'm not really sugarcoating it a whole lot. But the reality is that most of us are out there trying to outhunt the other hunters as much as we're trying to outhunt the deer. Most of the people who are going to buy a deer license this season are not in the woods right now doing a whole lot of work besides maybe running a few cameras or maybe putting out a mineral block to take some inventory. There's nothing wrong with that. But the hunters who are out there doing the shit that just needs to get done, those are the hunters who will have a real advantage when it comes to beating the crowds and beating the deer this fall. So donating a little plasma to the various bloodsuckers out there, just part of the deal. But before you head out, I would recommend taking some protection against the ticks. Since I'm a guy who writes squirrel hunting articles for a living, which is as far from having a medical degree as you can get, take this for what it's worth. 
you don't want Lyme disease or an alpha-gal allergy. And now I know alpha-gal sounds like some hot superhero cosplayer or whatever, so I must apologize for getting any of you comic book geeks fired up. It's not that cool. It's actually a weird reaction that springs up after an infected tick digs into you that kicks off a red meat allergy. So if you like venison backstraps or ribeyes or cheeseburgers or T-bones, and you don't want to spend your life solely eating fish and chicken, take some precautions against ticks. But don't be so cautious that you never go into the woods. Because right now, you've got all of those interesting waypoints you've dropped from your e-scouting efforts. They're sitting in the back of your mind, and the voice in your head is saying, you need to go in and see if that pinch point is legit. You need to walk that river to see what the crossings really look like in person. You need to make that three-hour drive to that random chunk of public land to see if it's really worth hunting. And unfortunately for you and I, the window for easier winter scouting has long since passed. That ship has sailed. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't look at all those waypoints on your phone and make a rough plan to get in and see them in person if you possibly can, or at least see as many of them as you can. And even though you called out some of your dud waypoints already, you'll see in person Others you are convinced are going to be super amazing actually aren't. Others will prove to be absolutely worth hunting. And no matter how it shakes out, you'll still be in the woods looking around. You'll be doing deer work. And this is a tremendously beneficial thing to do. It's kind of like observing deer no matter when you can. It's just a great way to increase your personal level of woodsmanship. And that undoubtedly helps you make better in-the-moment scouting and hunting decisions. Let me further illustrate this. <sighs> Consider something I went through on public land in South Dakota several years ago. I had marked a bunch of spots on Onyx. I showed up two days before the bow season was going to open, and I was going to run through those spots, pick my best places to hunt, and I was going to hit the ground running on opening morning. The problem was, when I hiked into most of those waypoints, they just didn't do it for me. Part of this was due to the fact that there was a hell of a lot more cattle around than I expected. And part of it was due to the fact that the water holes I wanted to hunt were bone dry, at least most of them. In that depressing process of hiking through the heat to see that my e-scouting efforts were really bad, I walked right past a pond that was just ringed with deer tracks. It was covered in sign. But it was also about 200 yards from the only access on the entire walk-in ranch that I was scouting. So I wrote it off on opening night, bad wind directions that I didn't really plan for and limited options due to other hunters, a lot more hunters than I expected, just left me scrambling with nothing to lose. I hiked to that pond and immediately jumped a bedded buck next to it. And as soon as I got that stand hung and stepped onto the platform, a different buck, a bigger buck ran over the hill and stopped at the edge of the pond at 20 yards. He froze right there. The problem was my bow was laying on the ground, but I did get to bend down and pick up my tow rope. And every time he shook his head to get rid of the flies that were really thick because it was so warm out, I pulled that bow a little bit more and a little bit more. When he finally dipped his head down to take a drink, I had my bow in my hand. I had gotten my release on. And so I got an arrow knocked and it ended up being the shortest out-of-state public land hunt of my life. And it was made possible by speed scouting a bunch of spots that I had marked with waypoints, even though they were mostly turds. The fact that they were turds didn't change the reality that I had to walk through a bunch of deer ground to see them. And in that process, I stumbled on a no-brainer spot that produced a buck for me, literally within seconds of setting up. So, it's time to sweat. 
It's time to get bit up. It's time to hike through the woods, slog through the swamps, cross the fields. But remember, this is transition time for whitetails. There's browse everywhere. Whether you're in Canada or Mississippi or Georgia or Maine or wherever whitetails live, they have more food options than they'll have at any time of the year. And they are dealing with the same crappy conditions you'll be dealing with when you make a foray into their world. And that discomfort comes in many forms, and it portends a few things for you and the deer. That nice, deep-in-the-woods hillside bench that you think you could kill a buck on in November, it's probably absolutely worthless deer-wise right now. He's not going to go in there and live with the mosquitoes and deer flies. He's going to bed out in some finger of tall grass where the breeze is always blowing and the insects are kept at bay. This also means that not all the sign and the deer sightings matter right now or will be relevant to your hunting decisions come fall. Take, for example, a pounded trail around a swamp or some other wetland, which, because it's wet, will look way more pounded than it probably actually is. That trail might exist right now simply because the water level rose back in May with a bunch of spring rain and it hasn't totally dried out yet. And the deer simply just had to go around a pond that they might go through or around a wetland that they might go through in October. Or you might jump a buck out there in the middle of a patch of sumac in a place you just didn't expect them. And you go, I got that bitch now. But that spot might serve as a one-off bedding area for a month each summer and nothing more. Listen, this is no different from your winter scouting efforts. If, if you see a sweet trail carved through the snow leading right to a standing cornfield in the end of January, you don't think to yourself, that's going to be the ticket in September. At least I hope you don't think that. I hope that you look at that and say, hell yes, I might find a shed antler here. But I also know that the wintertime movement to a prime food source doesn't mean jack squat come hunting season when the conditions are totally different. Actually, boots on the ground summer scouting is quite a bit different from winter and late spring scouting. I just lied to you, I'm, and, and I'm sorry for that. The truth is that when you're cruising through the March woods, you're looking for rubs and scrapes, real buck sign, that late winter Scouting, that's all about sign. You want to find a core area or a staging area or just the telltale rubs that show you a good deer fake fought a sapling in one specific area. There will be none of that now in the middle of the summer because rubs and scrapes are going to be nearly unidentifiable. It's unfortunate, I know. But as my kids like to say, and I don't really know why, it be like that sometimes. Look at this type of scouting during this time of year like it's an effort to just discover what is actually knowable and usable and to tell the rest of the stuff to go kick rocks in the street. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more 
at heartandsoil.co. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, And you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. Let's take my earlier river scouting example a step further here. Imagine walking along the bank of a river or a stream that flows right on through the ground you hunt. Deer might cross it at different times of the season for different reasons, but depending on the size and the depth of the water, they might always cross in only a few different spots out of convenience or just necessity. In fact, even on smaller water that you can barely submerge a juvenile frog in, deer have their preferences for where they cross. This predictability has put more public land bucks in my walls than probably any other tendency, even more so than their insane urge to pass on their genes with any remotely functional doe who will slow down long enough for them to try to hop on. River crossings, which we will get to way more extensively in future episodes, are just one example of a season-long deer spot that you could identify right now. The same goes for fence crossings. If there's one constant in the deer world, it's the prevalence of barbed wire fences. Old and new, they are out there stitched across the countryside and deer hate them as much as we do. But deer are masters of finding the one anomaly in the fence that allows them to jump over or go through. And if you find a good fence crossing, just like when you've got a good river crossing, you're looking at a spot that could treat you well throughout the entire season. Of course, looking at a well-used crossing of any kind and deciding it is in fact a well-used crossing doesn't do you much good until you find a way to ambush the eventual crossers. Take a look at the trees around the area. Envision what they'll look like when they're bare and you're hanging off the side of them, not how they look now. Look for potential ground blind spots, natural ground blinds, places you could pop up a ground blind. Use your imagination here. I once killed a great buck on a river crossing simply by hiding behind a giant cottonwood. It was the Scooby-Doo version of a hunting strategy, but it worked because the deer can't see through trees. If you can't find a suitable ambush spot within the range within range of the crossing, back off to see how far you'd have to get away to reach something workable. You might not be able to sit right on the riverbank and shoot them when they show up, but what does the trail offer you a hundred yards from the river? Maybe that super fence crossing is way out on an open pasture and there's no conceivable setup options, but some of the deer that cross there seem to originate from a point of woods a quarter of a mile away. Perfect setups, especially on pressured deer ground, are unicorns. Learn to adapt and scout with an eye toward finding good-as-it-gets setups. 
This goes for those random deer hotspots you find while looking for something else, or for the waypoint you've dropped specifically on a deer funneling terrain feature. Confirm not only that the spot will likely host some serious deer travel come fall while you're out there right now, but really dig in deeper to decide if the spots are huntable, not just whether they're going to host a whole bunch of deer. Truly huntable spots have some kind of good access. They don't necessarily have perfect stand trees, but they have good enough stand trees, or they allow for a situation for you to tuck into the ground somehow. It doesn't matter. Make sure you're looking for these at all of your spots. And even the ones that seem easily huntable, like destination food sources where you think, well, I'll just walk into the corner of that field and set up, sometimes don't lend themselves easily to a good tree stand or saddle setup or a ground blind as you think. Go in there now and make sure that you actually know. And During those walks, at least if you hunt where farmers farm, there should be another real opportunity for you to see what crops are out there. Throughout much of the whitetail range, the burning question a lot of us ask is, what's going to be growing in these fields this fall? For example, here in my home state of Minnesota, I've got a farm I have permission to bow hunt. The landowner runs a monster dairy operation, and he primarily plants corn and alfalfa. Of the 400 acres of fields on the property, most will always be corn. A few will be alfalfa, and rarely he'll have soybeans planted. Because there are quite a few hunters on the farm, I want to know right away if there will be any soybeans for the year, because that will always factor into my early season strategy. And more often than not, that's where I want to be posted up during opening weekend. Now, of course, the alfalfa will factor into the early season strategy as well, and later the corn will come into play. But the key is I want to know as soon as possible what's growing out there, and you do too. This up-to-the-minute intel is something you can just toss into the mix, and it'll really help you tie up some scouting loose ends and build a more actionable plan for the fall. And don't forget to look at any of the fields near where you hunt too, even if they are on properties that you can't set foot on. Provided you can drive by or you can see them maybe by glassing from ground you have permission to be on, if the neighbors have the bean fields or they have some other high draw food, you want to know that because you know a certain percentage of the deer that use the property you're going to hunt are going to go there and come back. You can factor that into your strategy. This plays out a lot for public land hunters for one very obvious reason. Typically, quality tillable land doesn't end up under government authority. It stays private for food production. And that means a lot of the public land has great bedding cover, but not so great destination food sources. And the deer will often travel from one to the other, depending on whether they're hungry or sleepy. And knowing where they're headed or where they're going to come back from can tell you a lot about why you should hunt certain spots at certain times of the season. Whenever I travel out of state to bow hunt public land, I always try to figure out what the primary food situation is, and it's mostly not on the land that I'm going to hunt. I've killed an awful lot of deer staging on public land that were headed to or coming from nearby private ground. Now, I'm not saying that you should set up on a fence line like a lot of people do, but instead just take into account how the deer are going to fulfill their daily needs while you're hunting them and work with whatever you've got to work with there. It's also worth noting that while I often talk mad shit about egg fields and food plots on public land as being idiot magnets, that's a gross generalization, and I probably shouldn't say it. 
I've killed great bucks on public land food sources in a couple of different states. Sometimes if the pressure isn't terrible or the weather conditions conspire to keep hunters out and put bucks on their feet, that gimme stand site on a state planted food plot might be the ticket, even if it's a very, very fleeting opportunity. To take advantage of that and file it away in the maybe pile, you got to know it exists and you got to know what's currently planted in it, which you can find out right now by getting out there and putting on some miles. And no matter what else you find while scouting right now that you deem worthwhile, trust me on this, make a note of it in your scouting app. I know you think you'll remember it, but if you're like me and you pickled your brain with Jim Beam for like 20 years before wising up, you probably won't. And even if you didn't engage in professional level drinking for like two decades, you've still probably got a lot on your plate and remembering exactly where the best stand tree is on that one river crossing on that wildlife management area that has a name that starts with A or a C, it isn't so easy. Take notes on your phone. That's my go-to strategy for public land. For private land, I do the same thing as well, but I also carry some biodegradable flagging tape during all these scouting missions. I might just tie a little orange bow on a pine tree next to the tree I plan to sit, or I might use a little bit of flagging tape to mark the best place to peel off an access road to get to a specific spot. Just little clues to help me remember how to hunt this after looking at it in person. Scout this time of year as if at any moment someone could pick up a brick and toss it right at your head so that not only will you go temporary night-night and see some cartoon Tweety birds circling around your dome when you stop sprinting toward the light, but you might also lose your ability to recall anything. Look, all I'm saying is don't trust your memory. Do trust your ability to figure out something important about the local deer movement, and if that's not enough to get you to brave hordes of mosquitoes and some ticks, then think about it this way. Very few people will really scout this time of year. To put a finer point on it, consider this. Hunters ask me all the time what the secret to killing more deer is, and I don't know how to answer it any other way than I explained in episode one. You got to learn to love scouting, even right now. Even if it has to happen when most folks are out throwing topwaters for summer smallmouth or brushing up on their golf game, the little sacrifices it takes right now to ground through some of your e-scouting findings will absolutely give you an advantage this fall. So get out there and use those waypoints you've agonized over. Hike into those spots. Take a look at them. Try to understand if they'll be good places to hunt or not. Factor in the summer foliage and deal with what Mother Nature is going to give you now. It won't be the easiest time to decipher deer sign, but the clues are out there. When you find enough of them, commit those spots to your memory and to your phone and start to really develop a roster of potential ambush sites that you feel confidence in. If you do, I'll make you a promise. Next week, we'll talk about something more fun, like trail cameras, and how they can help you kill super huge bucks even on the most heavily hunted parcel in all of Pennsylvania, or at least how they can complement a good scouting strategy. That's it for this week, my friends. Be sure to check back in next week as we keep this scouting ball rolling. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. As always, thank you so, so, so much for listening, and we will see you right here next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You 
can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.